Welcome back to Geeks and Grounds, a monthly game club where we brew good conversation and play games together. How are you doing, Joel? So good, Jenny. <laughs> I'm pretty good. We just finished up a conversation. Well, actually, I shouldn't say we finished no, up a conversation. You're about to hear a, conversation, to hear a conversation with uh, Pete and Scott from Fuzzy Ghost. They're a pair of... Uh, animator boyfriends do we read this in yes the intro? yeah this is the this is the official bio the from official their bio itch page fuzzy ghost is a pair of animator boyfriends who are just trying to make the video games they want to play queer and joyful and with meaning uh and that's exactly what we talked about exactly in this conversation about. Uh, the idea that you are building things that you want to see in the world is a yep. theme that we're going to talk about consistently throughout it was a great conversation so excited for you all to get to hear it yeah um if you're brand new be sure to make sure you're looking at the club notes and everything at geeksandgrounds.com that's where you can find the playthrough guide you can find where to find the game at queer man peering into a rock pool.jpg uh this game is absolutely wonderful and it is our selection for this month which is why we're talking to pete and scott so um be sure to check out all the materials there and if you're returning please consider leaving us a review on spotify or Apple Podcast or wherever you're listening to this. Um, if you're seeing this on YouTube, hitting that like thumbs up button and leaving a comment, it helps us with the algorithm. And the it's algorithm. also just really nice for us to read. Yeah. It's pretty cool. We like to know what you guys think. Yeah. Sure. Um, so those are those are just additional housekeeping notes um, before we get into the conversation. Prepare for a delightful one, y'all. Mm -hmm. It's going to be fun. If you have not yet picked up Queer man peering into a rock dot JPEG. Rock pool. Rock pool dot JPEG. <laughs> thank you. Uh, definitely do. I think we, it takes between an hour, an hour and a half to play through. Max. And, yeah. Uh, it's just a really joyful experience. Like I had a really fun time playing it. Yeah. And so check it out. Due to the nature of the game, it being like, again, hour, an hour and a half, we do talk about the full game with the developers. So just keep that in mind if you're wanting to avoid spoiler territory for the ending, play the game, and then return to the conversation. Yeah, for cool. sure. All right, hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, Pete and Scott, to Geeks and Grounds. So happy to have you here. Uh, bright and early, I think, for you, and ending out the day for us. Rounding out the day in yeah. the U.S. It's a pretty nice way to end the day for us um, and kick off... <laughs> The, the start of the week. How are you both doing today? Yeah, pretty good. So it's, it's the start of the week here. So end of your weekend, start of our week. Uh, we're feeling jazzed on coffee and ready to go. Yeah. Hey, that's perfect. <laughs> it's the Geeks and Grounds way. We have to have some good way. coffee to, to get our chats together. Um, oh, Brands my everything. Yeah, yeah. To, oh, my gosh. We're going to have to find a way to, to pick some of those up. Yeah, rep, rep the fuzzy ghost. <laughs> fuzzy ghost mugs, for sure. Um, before we start talking about the game, I'd love to go into the origin story of Fuzzy Ghost and talk about how you found each other, created the studio, and started working in games in general. Uh, we've been together, we've been partners for 10 years now, and we met in Brisbane, in Queensland, up north from Sydney. Um, what uh, I've been a commercial animator for like 20 years and Scott for like seven. Yeah. A while now in illustration as well. Um, and so fuzzy ghost started as us in commercial freelance animation, wanting to be kind of more known as a duo, like a director art direction duo, as opposed to just like, Oh, there's Pete. Oh, and Scott always is on the projects together, you know? And so we created fuzzy ghost together and then COVID hit. And I was making, I was trying to make short films because wanting to tell stories, animating all the time. And I was just getting really frustrated with how long animated film takes and how polished everything has to be and how there's also no audience for it. And the payoff is terrible. Like, and, and we were um, in Kayama, which is where our first game is set, Pebble Witch. And Scott was like, just try making a game. Stop whinging about it. I was like, <laughs> I guess, I guess I'll see. And so like three months later of let's see if I can do this, we made Pebble Witch and kind of just never looked back really. Yeah. The reception was so warm. It was so exciting to have people respond so quickly and get so into it. And um, 
Yeah. Especially so compared inspiring. to um, short film. Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. You have the perspective of film going into indie games. Cause when I think of, you know, indie games is already such a niche, I feel like, but I guess I'm also not familiar with the indie film side of things. So it's really cool to hear that you're coming in with that perspective. Yeah. Uh, very also much film kids. Perhaps a bit sad that uh, mid pandemic, uh scott forced you to follow through on a dream that man how the audacity of that it was look it was a good like it was a setback bad in many ways but um we had some government support in australia which was really nice um that really helped so we could yeah it was a perfect time really to switch Mm. careers as a lot of people have done yeah so yeah yeah Yeah. well and the the game itself feels you know we it felt very timely like when i mm-hmm. played it i was like this this feels like a game that speaks to me not simply on like just a general level but specifically as someone who also recently also went through the pandemic and also like stayed at home um pretty isolated from a larger group in society and community um so it was really interesting to play and we'll t- definitely talk more um about that <laughs> yeah for sure I, it's interesting i think one of the things i'm so excited to dive into with the two of you as we l- explore some of the themes of the game and the inspiration that you drew from is you know i think people point to the games like death stranding as this surprisingly like prescient game that it's almost like they knew that this thing was coming but it's like it's such a literal experience whereas i felt like what we got to experience with queer man was just a more thematically connected experience to to the pandemic and the experience of isolation yeah i think because like because so I just want to be clear that Queer Man was not the three-month game. It took eight, mm-hmm. 18 months, a much, much longer <laughs> time, and much more like deeper into COVID as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it was, yeah, it was a response to a lot of those things, definitely. Um, I think um, Animal Crossing came out mid, you know, during it, and everyone yeah. loved it, and yep. it was such an amazing communal yeah. kind of time. And I really loved that. Um, Pete's routine and all the pleasures of that. So I think that was one of the starting points was the pleasure of routine and the safety and the warmth and comfort mm-hmm. of routines and then just subverting and playing with, with that stuff. Yeah. 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 Because yeah. originally Queer Man was going to be slower because we love we love slow cinema and routine and just seeing daily life. And Queer Man, for so much of development, was this daily routine and just doing laps around the island and seeing what's changed, what's washed up on the shore. And, I mean, it didn't end up that way. (laughs) For various reasons. (laughs) But, um, yeah, that routine in the Animal Crossing was definitely an early... It's so funny thinking of the game with Animal Crossing now, yeah, yeah, and there's so yeah. many other games that have like like take Animal Crossing as such a such an influence, and I don't normally think of Queer Man as <laughs> one of them. Yeah, it's very but strange. Where it you is. start and where you end up, so yeah. different. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Well, since we have already kind of started talking a bit about the game itself, uh, we always love to give the creators a chance to kind of just describe mm-hmm. the game in their own words for anyone who's listening along that maybe hasn't had a chance to play it yet. Would you mind giving us a synopsis of the of, this, of the experience? It is. <laughs> well, we like to call it, it's our love letter to one of our favorite slow cinema directors, Simon Lang, combined with the messiest ending of Evangelion. And I think that combo says so That's much. That's what I to told us. you. I was like, by the end, you feel this Evangelion touch. And I was like, Joel, you'll get it. You'll totally get it. I definitely did. Good. Good. Oh, that's awesome. It's been really fun watching, like, seeing watching streamers play and then like at the start you get like a glimpse of some of like the Ava hands coming out of rock pools and they're like is that that looks a bit uh. and then by the end they're like just this is just Ava everywhere it's just Evangelion everywhere yeah, yeah when you see like right. the, the cross type experiences I don't yeah. spoil the, the big event there but uh man I was like this feels like it could be 
a literal follow-up to the last episode of the original <laughs> Evangelion. And it's just like, forget all the characters you know from that story. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to tell the story of just a completely unrelated person that's just living their best life, well, yeah. living a life, after uh, after the big you know events of <laughs> that game or that show. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, we'd, we'd done a rewatch, I think maybe during production, or yeah, just before the series and the rebuilds after that yes yeah. it's mid-production so we would like yeah. we'd just spent like a month or two just like deep re-watching evangelion <laughs> and it was like you know what i love it when when works directly reference influences and things they love mm-hmm. and yes. so so much of this so much of queer man is quite vague we're never explicitly saying too much but all the ingredients to know what happened in the world are there. Mm-hmm. And so... Because we're watching Satoshi Kon as well, like oh, um, yeah. Paranoia Agent and Paprika, and he brings in a huge amount of multimedia, you know, references, brings that stuff and just throws it all in, and we were kind of playing with that. Yeah. That was an inspiration as well. Yeah. Um, just, just kind of just throwing whatever we wanted in this big soup, big swampy soup. Yeah, such a swampy <laughs> soup. Yeah. <laughs> I love that so much. It was very soupy indeed. Uh, in the best ways. In the in best, the best ways. ways. I also feel like I need to clip the part where you guys were talking about the value of a routine and just send it to my therapist and be like, see, I'm normal. Because <laughs> 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 uh, there was a degree of comfort. It's, um I love it when I understand the rules and like what is happening mm-hmm. here. And by day three, I was like, oh, I am in this person's routine. I am oh, eager to like you know, go explore my little, my little buddies inside the ponds, the rock pools. I I just thought like the routine element of it was such a, I don't know, compelling. Like it felt very real to me. It was like when you are in these extreme circumstances, it is often the routines that help you just get from day to day. And I Mm -hmm. felt like you guys really captured that nicely. Mm -hmm. Oh, fabulous. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. One thing about the routines that I found really incredible, um, and it really, day to day, it sort of changed. And I love the way that it made me think about the concept of uh, feeling lonely and being alone and Mm. how those aren't necessarily the same kind of feelings. Like I can feel, I can be alone, but feel comforted and feel comfortable in my routine and excited. But then there are times when you feel lonely. And I think there are really interesting points in the game where you have both of those feelings, where you can feel like wonderful solitude in exploring the rock pools and meeting the chunkies and figuring out what they are. And then, um, for example, when you're typing out the emails and you're never quite sure if Daryl, who you're writing to, gets them or not. And those depending, because I played through this a couple times and I found myself, depending on my mood when I play, I either feel more melancholic, like I don't mm. know if any anyone's hearing anything and I'm shouting mm. to the void, or I feel hope that like maybe there is some connection happening there. Um, I'm curious for you to... Did you have anything you were trying to work through or what are your thoughts about loneliness versus solitude and and sort of the feelings around that, especially during the pandemic? Yeah, that's really interesting. I haven't heard that particular um, experience of the game before. Um, I think we were, yeah, I think communication was a big part of it and um, different forms of communication and particularly like, maybe over the internet, that kind of, um, sometimes it's communal, sometimes it's very lonely. So I think that was definitely an aspect in terms of, and speaking to the void, as you said, like Mm. whether anybody hears was Mm. a consideration. Um, I think we also, I remember early on we were trying, and the reason, like we tried to not, we're very wary that you can easily fall into that like scando lonely cold beach mm-hmm. vibe with this kind of surreal existential kind of thing and we really didn't want to hit that and so that's mm-hmm. why we had he would just talk to things all the time and like embody like the chunkies where they, <laughs> they we wanted them to feel like pets mm-hmm. and but like they don't really do anything it's like like the most passive cat you've ever seen like <laughs> as far as a pet goes i mean i guess um yeah, but the, yeah, about that loneliness, we definitely didn't want it to, like, we'd just been, we'd had years of COVID at this point. The mm-hmm. last thing we wanted was to feel more 
isolated, but we also really wanted to talk about, yeah, like you say, like being on your own mm-hmm. and isolation, I guess. Yeah. It's interesting too, because you, as you're engaging with this character and, and, uh, experiencing the world with them, you learn how much, uh, how much he misremembers and how much mm-hmm. he doesn't even remember that he's missing out. Like, oh, I'm, I'm hungry. I haven't, <laughs> I forgot about being hungry and that, that kind of experience. And I, I wonder if there's an element of that with community as well, that mm-hmm. like maybe he didn't really remember that he was missing out on that community. Not that he doesn't constantly, like, he definitely references Daryl and like a desire to be with Daryl consistently. Mm-hmm. But I think there's some, maybe there's something there. And I, you guys don't have to burst my bubble if you don't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, as I've been like researching the game and learning more about you two, it seems like you're very much into the. Um, you get to you get to experience things from the story that you pull out of it, and I really appreciate that about mm-hmm. uh, your approach to this game. It really hurts to not just bring out the. This is exactly what it is. Bam! <laughs> but that absolutely diminishes. So I'm all my self control. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one thing I'm really curious about is because um, we had a couple members of our community uh, not recognize like rock pools and sort of like w- what they even are. They weren't part of the geography of their their homes. And so I'm really curious why what significance like the rock pools had for you, why it was important to include them, like why the chunkies came from them instead of like from the sky or from, you know, other random places. That was part of Scott's, like, OG seed of an idea. Yeah, that was the mm-hmm. first sketch I made. Um, we have a lot of rock pools here in Sydney, so um, by the sea there's beautiful, a lot of rocks and a bit of, uh, is, it, is it sandstone? A particular kind of, there's very dramatic rocks, um, and in them form rock pools um, that form tidally and then wash out again. And I've always loved them. And there was just something in that with routine and tides and what the tide brings in and leaves behind in these rock pools um and it's both like fresh and exciting but also things get stagnant and weird and covered in mold and algae and you know all this muck um so it all started there um and it just played really well in with especially if i was watching evangelion and the idea of like you know sele's big plan for the this what do they call the singularity the instrumentality project or whatever it is and so everything was all about like yeah that muck and that mess and then also memory being exactly that as well and so Mm -hmm. our memories end up that same like muck weird mess of things and it'll kind of everything ends up informing everything else which was quite satisfying yeah i love that (laughs) yeah um, I'd love to talk a little bit. I think playing off of the rock pools, and here in Oregon we have uh, we have a lot of like tide pools out yeah. along the coast, and there are these subtle changes. Like you go out every day, and most of everything is going to be exactly what you saw yesterday. But there are going to be subtle changes. As a sea anemone here today that wasn't there yesterday, or something mm-hmm. as starfish has moved a little bit. Um, I'd love to talk a little about the subtle changes as you engage with this world. Mm-hmm. Um, what were some of the things that you that were maybe subtle changes that you wanted people to pick up on? And I'd love to share with you my favorite, which is the way the character walked depending on like mm-hmm. the mood that he had walking around. The, the way island. that the hands were animated. I, the hands for hands for me, I think, are really just interesting in general. But the way that uh, he would hold his hands was amazing. <laughs> it communicated so much with so just a good. simple gesture. Um, so, what were some of the, your like the small changes that you guys had kind of throughout the game? Were some of that that stood out to you or that that felt meaningful for you? Um, I think one that I really love that I think a lot of people don't pick up on is do you have jacarandas in? America, not in the U. I know what they are. The Hakadon is like um, from what's the movie? Not Coco, the one with the house. Um... Up. No, there's there's a movie. There's a recent like Disney Pixar movie that references them, and that's the only reason I knew about them is because this ah. movie referenced them. But I we yeah, don't right. have them in so the U.S. or at least on the giant... West Coast giant trees that are usually just green but then for a few months of the year go bright purple and they're exceptional and one of my favorite things is some of the trees just out outside um bong's door is 
the, the jacarandas. And I think because mm-hmm. it's early on, they are green. And then after only a few days, they go purple. But I've, a lot of people don't notice. And when jacaranda is mentioned, they're like, uh? and it didn't occur <laughs> to me that people wouldn't know what a jacaranda is. I'm like, yeah, this is good. This is what like Australian content. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> I will say, I didn't know what that was, but I definitely took a screenshot of the purpling tree. It was so gorgeous. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, media over message in some cases, I suppose. Yeah. And the bird that's referenced as well. I think that's one I didn't realize. Um, Ibis, I think. Mm -hmm. Ibis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I forget that. Yeah. And I I didn't know what an Ibis was. So I ended up looking and I saw the context clues and I saw it, you know, in embedded (laughs) into the island um but i ended up looking that up and it, i did love how australian the game felt like in yeah, the cool. small ways that i was like this feels different enough to me as someone from like the west coast of the u.s that i feel like i'm also just getting a taste of just australia a little bit and it was really cool to be able to do that yeah great we yeah. we'd often feel ourselves like be tempted to go into something that is maybe easier to make or like a kind of iconic image that you see around that's a bit of a fun trope but we're like there's so many people doing that we have to show like australia is not shown and so the idea that people don't know what ibis are blows my mind because they are like an iconic we often call them bin chickens because they're this like majestic bird that used to be in like mangroves mangroves and marshland but they've adapted really well to city life because they're really resilient and they have long beaks to get into bins. <laughs> and so they can be kind of grubby. And that's to me just iconic. And I love it. These like majestic creatures that are literally Egyptian gods in the Egyptian mythos. And, but we call them bin chickens here. So cool. <laughs> I love that so much. I believe I owe my knowledge of ibises from uh, Neil Gaiman in American Gods. That was how uh, yes. I learned about them. Yep. But yeah, otherwise I would not have known either. So I, I get it. I think what are some other ways, um, because this game is very grounded in Australian culture and just just worldview. I'm curious about other ways that you embedded that throughout the game, um, whether it was the cafes or any other places. Yeah. Um, I mean, we featured um, places that we used to live and a suburb that we used to live in, in Sydney, um, oh. in the cafe, in the cafe scene. That's a cafe we used to go to every day. Yeah. Oh, yes. I did not yeah, know that. That's, cool. that's so cool. That's actually, it's actually photos of the block that we used to live on and our favorite cafe that's oh, at the end that. of the street. And oh, so you can actually gosh. see the house that we lived in. That is oh, that's yeah, right, so cool. like right there. Yeah. And that, yeah, I... that house is actually the setting for our next game as well. So you're gonna see Ooh. like that house repeated. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Um, one thing that I also very much love that you did, and I'd love to get just more of your thoughts around it, is the land acknowledgement. Um, that's not only on your Steam page, but it's like one of the first splash screens mm-hmm. you see in the game. Um, for folks who maybe aren't familiar with land acknowledgements and sort of what their purpose is, could you dive into why you included that? It's like the the, the least we can do, right? Like. We're both white Australians on land that was never ceded. We don't even have a treaty with the First Nations people in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's it's not a great scenario. Um, and so the very least that we can do is acknowledge that we live and work on Gadigal land and mm-hmm. unceded country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think thought it's that just was... kind of important to, yeah, just lay that out every single time to continually remind that that's. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really great. I think it's something we see a little bit more of on the West Coast because we also have like populations here. But um, I had a couple of questions also just in our community because they just ha- weren't familiar with it. So it's really neat mm. that again, it's just making something a bit more visible. Yeah, there's a. We've now hit this uh, with three questions in a row where we reveal kind of our <laughs> ignorance in, as Americans of anything related to Australia. So I'll add this one as another check to that list. <laughs> I had not heard of that land, like the, the name of the land that you all referenced mm-hmm. in the game. That was something that I had never heard before. So like when we talk about like 
you know, First Nations, Indigenous peoples mm-hmm. in uh, in the Americas, like I'm more familiar with the name, the names and nomenclature, but it was completely mm. unknown to me playing the game mm-hmm. um, this time. So yeah. Here. And we, I don't know, I think this is, oh, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's okay. It's gradually becoming more standard here to um, show the dual names. And they do it very well in New Zealand and we're kind of importing it to Australia now. Yeah, hopefully more and more. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I guess that's because the it's very easy not to know what the countries are, even as like people who live here, because mm-hmm. the, the, the nation, the kind of just language groups, and there are hundreds and hundreds here. So like mm-hmm. you travel for an hour on the train and then suddenly you're on Darug country. And so it's very specific to where you are as opposed to like this Western idea of like a giant country. It's mm-hmm. not like that. So there's just hundreds and hundreds of names and um, what you reference will be dependent entirely on your address. Yeah, it was really cool. I think what what has been exciting just in terms of Geeks and Grounds and the games we've been playing is with each game, um, because we've played games from a variety of places in the world, I've been finding myself learning more. Mm -hmm. Um, We played A Space for the Unbound, which was set Mm. um, in Indonesia. And so we learned a lot about just sort of Indonesian culture just through playing the game and talking with the developer. And I think this was another case where, again, like Joel said, I wasn't familiar with um, just the indigenous population in Australia. And so having the land acknowledgement there did get me to go and do a little bit of Googling and doing a little bit of reading. And um, yeah, so thank you for putting that there just so that we could ask the questions that we didn't even know were available, you know? I think we're going to start seeing more and more um, Indigenous-led games coming out of Australia. We're going to start getting some more First Nations content. Um, Our big funding body just announced um, some good funding for the next year, next few years that encourages that is deliberately for first nations um game devs and keeping their studios up and developing their games and so it's really exciting to think we're going to see some perspectives from that some stories really rad that's really really cool super rad (laughs) it's um great 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 to hear as well like um playing games from different countries and then getting into and researching things because that's one thing i love about all other art forms, all art forms, you know, you just, the big web of references, the, the places you can go just from looking at one yeah. game yeah. one movie yeah. or anything. It's really great. <laughs> Um, one thing that I thought was really cool also about the game, speaking of just different perspectives, um, I mean, it's in the title, Queer Man Peering. Um, the game is just unabashedly, is is queer. It is a queer game, but it's not something that's, a plot point in the sense of like we are going to go through like gay trauma or we're not going to go through like this reckoning where we're going to come out and things are happening and it's all because uh, you know we're gay and I'm curious um, just it felt intentional but I'm curious what was your thought process you were creating this Mm -hmm. game um, and you were making it you know as queer people in this industry we grew up watching films where if there was gay characters in it, let alone gay centered mm-hmm. characters, it would end in a beating, um, death via a disease or mm-hmm. just straight up murder or that at least be sad. And while those stories are important to be told, we're very tired of these stories. And even when the stories aren't that, the stories often now are, coming of age tales and things like that. And I'm like, I'm a 39 year old man. I am done <laughs> with those stories. I don't need to hear. And like more power to you. Good job. All the people that are getting a lot out of those stories, mm-hmm. but like there's so much more to being queer than the discovery that you're queer. Mm-hmm. And so we just want to, our, our, like we, we came up with the, the motto for fuzzy ghost, which is just more blokes smooching. And so that's like our ethos, where we will always center a gay male and uh, more bloke smooching. Yeah, I I think that's a great motto. I stand behind it too, every game of these. (laughs) Um, Which you brought up another point, which I loved, and that's the protagonist is this, I think in the Steam description, it even says like a middle-aged queer man. And so the middle-aged struck me because Mm. so often, I mean, Evangelion is one example. You've got like 
15 year olds at right. most, you know, yeah. saving the world and fighting God. Yeah. And um, I'm curious about having having a middle aged, you know, 30 something year old protagonist. What was um, sort of what were your thoughts behind that? Um, I think. I mean, I guess biographical in a way, because we're kind of getting up towards those ages now. Um, but also just hadn't seen it before, was really interested mm-hmm. in those stories. A lot of the movies that inspired the game came from, were about people around that age mm-hmm. group and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and I think, yeah, it was just, you don't see these stories. And when you start to think about it, there's this massive, such a huge array of stories and people that aren't talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So we were really motivated to just, just dive in and, and explore and try that, try it out. And also that, like, that lack of, you don't need to, like, he's found himself. He knows who he is, mm. all this stuff. And so you're just dealing with what you're, what's in front of him. And then he's got all these other frustrations to deal with. We don't need to mm. be on a journey of self-discovery with him in and, that way. And I think it's really important to kind of push back against that idea of relatability, where it's like, oh, you know, yeah. people of a certain age group like games, therefore you should make a character around that age. It's like, that's not the point of art to us it's about mm-hmm. experiencing another person a very different person often you mm-hmm. know and really mm-hmm. finding the similarities and the differences and just using your imagination you know to mm-hmm. exist yeah not not having it catered for you in particular yeah yeah we're both former teachers and we've yeah. talked about this a <laughs> few times how um so much of our work as teachers was building empathy and understanding of other people's stories and i feel like because you didn't have a story that was like a journey of self-discovery where a middle-aged man realizes he's gay it's more like no this is just who he is let's tell a story of world discovery of what like unlocking mysteries of like what has happened to the place around him and so there still was incredible amount like literally every day Mm that the routine of the game is discovery and like new things that are coming up and washing up uh and him discovering parts of himself and him in in the past um, so I, I really appreciated that you've developed a game that was so discovery oriented where the, the personhood of him was also part of that routine that like, he mm-hmm. is just a, a gay man. Like that is who he is. Um, yep. I will say I, because I was so locked into the routine, the ending caught me completely by surprise. <laughs> I, cause it was like, I was just in it. I was like, this is feeding every routine oriented part of my life. Can you talk a little <laughs> bit about like the idea like the surprise, uh, you can go as deep or not deep as you want to into like how this story ends. Um, but like, can you talk about why that ending was so like, where did it come from? How did it, why was it important? How did you get there? Um, I think kind of since Evangelion was a big part of it, it shouldn't have been a surprise to it uh, that the ending felt just as abrupt as the TV series and was also forced in some ways by the real world, same real world issues that that show faced as well, which was just, we just need to get it done. We have no more time, no more <laughs> The last energy. six months of, we almost cancelled <laughs> Queen Man appearing multiple times in the last like six months of development because mm. we were so, it was so hard to make. And it was so hard to make work. And like the first three days of the game, we'd remade in completion about seven times because we just couldn't work out what kind of game it is, Mm. how we hit the beats we want to hit. We we did more learning how to make everything as well. Yeah, it was because it was only our second game, and so yeah, just it was it was really hard. Uh, we called it the desert for the longest time. We were just in the, the desert trying to get this game out, trying not to cancel it. Mm. And also because, like, we didn't know. We'd be like, four people are going to play it. Like, we we had no... At that time, we had no community here in Australia that make games. Mm. We didn't really know many people. COVID was still happening. Uh, yeah, so it was, it was a punish. <laughs> Very <laughs> grateful that we got through it now, but... Jeez. Um, but um, no, I think the result's really nice and it kind of just, you know, was perfectly to have Ava there and to have that as a framework to be like, it was exciting. When we got it in there, it was really cool and, mm. and, and we really enjoyed it um, in the end. I, d- I didn't think people would be so surprised by ending, to be honest, because to me, the whole, the, the penultimate sequence 
is such a like it changes it's all very different and to me mm-hmm. that it was i was trying we were trying to make that as the oh yeah this is that like the weirdo ending before it gets to the end but um i've seen people playing it and they're like oh like the credits come up and they go oh <laughs> <laughs> and like, oh no like jump scared by it <laughs> i you know i should yeah. be, i should maybe clarify like it, it didn't surprise me in that way like i wasn't like oh my god the game's over it was more like there was so much optimism at the end of this game, oh, yeah. at the oh. end of the world. Mm-hmm. And, like, I think because, like, the first day you learn, like, the world has basically ended, you know, <laughs> I was like, it's the road. It's Cormac McCarthy. Like, it's not going to be happy. And you have you left us on with such a, a taste of optimism at the end. And it was mm-hmm. the optimism that, like, really took me by surprise. Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Oh, great. And that yeah, was one of very... the reasons... Oh, I was going to say that was one of no. the reasons why I felt like it was really important to play this game just for this for this club and for the community that mm-hmm. we have. Because, again, it's not just uh, I think when folks initially dive in, it's very easy to think, oh, I think this may end up being a sad game. I think I may, yeah. you know, I think I might cry at the end we of this. We pick a lot of sad games. We pick a lot of sad games, too. So yeah. there's that. But yeah. um, I think that's what struck me is exactly what Joel said is at the end of the game when all is said and done you leave and you feel hopeful for the world mm-hmm. you feel hopeful for both of these characters who have found each other and like who clearly care deeply for one another and I think that's really beautiful and so yeah really excited to, to hear more about your thoughts on the ending <laughs> yeah great um I'm so glad you both experienced that because that was a very much one of the starting points was um, I guess oh. our reaction to having so many apocalyptic games and shows and media that mm. um, we felt didn't really depict how people would respond. Like people always have a sense of humor. I mm. think even in the darkest times, yep. people make a joke or people just like, you know, you fall over in a ridiculous way in the most <laughs> devastating moment of your life. You know, you stumble, you might bump into something. Um, yeah. So we started from that point where we wanted to do something apocalyptic, but have that humor and that joy that I, yeah, and, it felt, it felt. And I feel like there's a real, there's a, it's a very modern trend to conflate meaning and like depth of meaning with sadness, bleakness, mm-hmm. monotone. Like it's not important if it's not sad, it's not. Yeah. And I think that's a bit of a, like, I blame HBO a bit for that, that sense of like, it's important because it's cruel or it's, Mm. oh, isn't it edgy? And like, no, no, like there is, there is so much, we put so much into this game and it stands for so much and it means so much, but it is deliberately joyful and it is deliberately buoyant and silly and absurd. And it can be all those things. And it is all those things, I think. And Mm -hmm. I just, I just, we're just making what we want to see in the world. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, that's a wonderful sentiment. And I think it's something that I think a lot about um, just with sort of games in general and joy and how um, in a lot of cases we talk about this with, I work with the Wholesome Games team and we talk a lot about how joy is also an act of rebellion, especially in times like mm-hmm. these and to create joyful optimistic content is sometimes um, the strongest act you know, that you can take, especially in hard times. So. Yeah, just that no one, no one needs to be pushed any further down especially queer people Mm -hmm. like we don't we don't need that and so just the buoyance please please (laughs) yeah I love the idea of buoyancy I think that's a word that I hadn't thought of but as soon as you said it I was like yeah that really does describe the game it's very buoyant (laughs) in many ways in many ways (laughs) in many ways the whole house floats at one point I mean buoyant is the word (laughs) yeah true uh, can we talk a little bit about the game aesthetic? Um, we were so curious about like how that is, the aesthetic of the game came about for people who have not played. You have a lot of vibrant striking. colors, striking. Uh, and then you also have these like very crunchy, pixelated images or like a, a, an actual image that's been stretched out. Um, can you just talk a little bit about the inspiration for that? Like where did that, where did that come about? Um, oh, all kinds of places. I think we started... We were watching um, just playthroughs of games that we used to play when we were kids. So Super Nintendo um, 64, PlayStation 1, 
um, and we wanted to have those in the game. We, did, we didn't want it to be the whole game. I guess it comes back to like collage. I was thinking of collage, mm-hmm. and oh. if you're collaging different games and all these different, and also the idea of memory. And so, because what he's doing when he remembers things, like is he then also manifesting it? I don't know. But yeah. the idea of like this world being created by the way memory works, mm. which is a mess and not cohesive. Also, practically doing that means you don't get caught out in this like verisimilitude <laughs> and like perfection of art direction. And mm. the game took long enough to make as it is. Yeah, We did not need to get caught yeah. in anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun to just dive in and just like mess things around, like just pull stretch pixels and just break yeah. lots of stuff and just chuck it all in and have this nice, Kind of just chaotic, but still cohesive. Kind of happy little disaster. Vibe. Yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> That's so funny. It reminded me like the first time you like clear away the pixels to unveil this like memory item. Mm-hmm. It reminded me that the sensation that I felt was the sensation I remember feeling as a kid playing in Microsoft Paint in the '90s, where it's like, oh, like. I can like drag this thing around and get a brick pattern that just covers the whole screen. And isn't that fun? It's like, it's just that like it was unexpected and it was fun. Um, Yeah. It was such a, it was such a cool experience doing that. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I really loved also the juxtaposition. If I'm remembering it correctly, my memory could be false and I could just be (laughs) making this up, but it felt like the character model was smoother and had a very different like feel than the world around him which was interesting like it was very pixelated around him whereas he had this like sheen and I thought that was also a really interesting contrast between him wandering through and then picking up these things that are also kind of that jumbled mess yeah we didn't want him to feel too cold and video gamey himself and so like he's got the fur jacket and he's got um like he actually has a quite a advanced skin shader so that like you know the light goes behind you can see the light shining mm. slightly through his slightly translucent skin mm. i think it was about yeah or having that warmth of yeah. like, human kind of connection mm. in all this randomness so it didn't feel like it was pure chaos so you had this mm-hmm. kind of really warm character to spend time with and then a love kind of story as well um yeah. amongst all this mayhem yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really effective because again you're you're with him and you're sort of watching him as you explore this whole time and I just I couldn't take my eyes off him it was so cute and just like I loved just <laughs> spending time with him just um what I'm curious about just kind of hopping back to the furniture and sort of manifesting um I think that was just I and this is probably not going to get an answer because this is just this is one of those things I think was left open. Um, but I'm curious about the relationship of what objects popped up. Um, and was this something that he guided primarily or were those objects already embedded in the chunkies and he just revealed them? And I don't know if you can answer this. I hadn't even thought about this. <laughs> this is okay. I feel, I see the lean back. So. I feel like the, the, sequence around the kitchen mm-hmm. I think is as close as we get to answering that mm. Got gotcha it. okay there's yeah yeah okay <laughs> we'll leave it at that we'll let, let people chew on that then well I think there's something about like um you you are you are entering a world and it just is what it is mm-hmm. and so maybe that's why it didn't even occur to me to question that because yeah. I was like yeah if I go into the ocean too deep I'm gonna turn to sea foam obviously that is it is clear you know what i mean so it's like it, there are some things this happens literally every time where it's like joel doesn't see something obvious they're like hey maybe you should think about this and now i found my one for this game where it's like oh you should maybe consider the why at some point during this game maybe you just naturally made peace with schrodinger's chunky yeah exactly that's maybe. all it is like- chunky i love that <laughs> Uh, well, I'm curious if, okay, if the mechanic is, is you know, you were able to manifest and furnish your own world then with these Chunkies, I was just really curious what Chunkies you would want to have in your house that you unravel and unpack. Oh, gosh. I think That's I love the idea of, like, popping the Chunky and being like, oh, <laughs> I guess that's going on my wall now. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of love the 
the horror of that. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, the pressure. If I have, if I get to choose, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. More more Ibis content would be my favorite. Oh, absolutely. More Ibis yeah. furniture, like the full suite of Ibis goodies. <laughs> Ibis fridge, Ibis couch. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah, I, I would never say no to that. <laughs> oh, man, I can't even imagine what I would... Like, okay, what would probably pop out of my subconscious is like a chocolate chip cookie... But not like a real one, like one that like I like a like a chair that is in the shape of a chocolate chip cookie. That's probably what would come yeah, out of my subconscious. Nice. I have that. no idea what consciously I would choose to come out of my own chunky. Same. Well, and, and that's the thing. I asked the question, but I don't even have an answer for myself because <laughs> it seemed so like, again, haphazard is maybe the word for it, where you would go in and you would have these chunkies and it's like, what was what was the gates that came out? And I was like, what? These, okay, and then yeah. a, a pair is another one, but then you have a chair and then like a, a small table. So it was very like, it was so chaotic, but so wonderful because you, again, you get the sense as a player, you're like, each of these means something. There is a connection here, but... Um, there's not really a rhyme or reason to like the order in which things are coming about. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I think we were playing around with that, with that question of who is, where's is this information coming from? Mm-hmm. Um, and what is suggestion at play here? And like the character of admin, what is their role? What are they trying to achieve? Um, and are, are da- um, Bong, the main character's memories all, his own, their own, or someone else's, or, you know, other people's, or all these kind of mm. questions were like, what influence, much like memory, like what influences memory? Um, are they your own? Are they shared? Shared memory, all that kind of stuff was kind of in mm. that, in that, in that zone, in that creation process, I think. This is going to be perhaps a way hyper specific and niche poll, but I was, it was, I'm just going to tell you the very first thing that I was thinking of when I first met Admin. I'd love to know if you guys have ever experienced this this particular media. Have you ever watched the show Reboot? Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Yes. That's what we were talking. Okay, because like li- this whole time, the first time I played, I was like, "Are we trapped in a simulator? Are we like in a JPEG right now? Like, is this? I'm in the city this- of mainframe. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, are eventually, you know, it's so. That's really great that you that you actually know Reboot as well. It was just like, I was sitting there and it's like, oh, I'm talking to the admin. And I was like, mm-hmm. if you were to ask Joel to describe what real life would be in a, in a virtual video game-esque world using only things that he knew in the 90s and early 2000s, this is what I would build. This is exactly how computers work yep. in my mind. And so yep. they just, yep. like, it really gave me these strong sense memories of reboot and you know and for those the uninitiated as our audience might be uh reboot you can watch on netflix i think right now it was like a canadian original animated anim- it's like the first like, ever 3d animated cg yeah. cartoon yeah back in like the late 90s early 2000s oh, it was so cool i was like this is yeah. the future this is so cool <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I, yeah i was so into it loved it it was definitely <laughs> one of the one of the go-to's for us, yeah. Thinking of the game. Also, in of... terms of just bonkers aesthetic, like yeah. that's some oh, that's some nasty CG. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so maybe for the uninitiated, it might not hold up, but in my memory, <laughs> it's pristine. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, well, I'm curious. You mentioned you have um, another game in the works. You know, even after the the desert of of this one, <laughs> you, you got caught the bug, and you're still sticking around indie oh, dev yeah. <laughs> oh, we, we started this new one like a week after we finished queer man we don't learn our lessons <laughs> oh. it's this the cur is the blessing and curse of being in the industry you just we're here <laughs> we're can't the- not yeah you know, they say that there's like after a person gives birth, the hormones that flood their body yeah. Yeah. repress their talk memory. About that. Is yeah. that okay? <laughs> yeah. And that's what happened here. A week yeah. after giving yeah. birth to this game, you're like, you know, this was really great. We should just yeah. like start again right now. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'm curious if you're yeah. able to speak to uh, anything of your upcoming game, if you have any timelines, mm. if it's still so early in production, you're like, nope, we're not going to share anything. Um, no, we are, we are deep in production. 
Um, it's called Janet de Mornay is a Slumlord and a Witch. And <laughs> it is the best a, title. <laughs> it's a comedy horror uh, set in a share house in Sydney where you're kind of being, it's, it's about being a renter in the 21st century oh and the horrors gosh. of what that means. And uh, you're kind of being haunted by your landlord who is <laughs> also, she's a faded TV shopping network channel star. And um, also a witch. This sounds amazing. This sounds incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll definitely be keeping an eye out for more news about that. We hope to have some more details about it uh, October, I think. Yeah, I'm having an announcement. Nice. Yeah. It's Melbourne International Games Week in October, so we'll... Yes, yeah. Oh, I've been... That's like the one sort of festival that I'm really hoping to try and make it out for. I haven't gone yet. It's so good. I've heard amazing things about it. <laughs> so yeah. for folks yeah. who would like to stay in touch, keep an eye out for your next project, uh, where can they where can they find you? Uh, on Twitter, we're underscore fuzzy ghost underscore. Our website is fuzzyg.host. It's very hard to verbally say it, but it's just fuzzy ghost with a dot in it. Um, uh, oh, like Janet's up on Steam. Yeah, so you can find very it. early teaser trailers very up early. on there. So. Yeah. Oh, cool! Ooh, You'll have to spotlight those for sure. Yeah, we'll definitely link to yeah. those so folks can wish list it and check it out. Um, yeah, thank you so much for today for hanging out and enjoying a little bit of coffee, a little bit of conversation. It was so really lovely to be able to chat with you both. Thank you for having thank us. Thank you. Thank you so much for all of our listeners for joining us today. Uh, we really appreciate you joining us. Hopefully you enjoyed hanging out with Scott and Pete as we talked about Queer Man. Uh, and thanks to the devs for joining out, joining us today as we were hanging out. Yeah. Remember to visit geeksandgrounds.com. That's where you can get all the materials about the club. Sign up for the newsletter, which is the hub for all the info going out for all of the weekly newsletters. We release them every Tuesday. Uh morning PSTs and in various time zones at whatever time <laughs> 7.30 a.m. PST is. Um, you can find our social channels for Geeks and Grounds on Twitter, Instagram primarily, and it's just at Geeks and Grounds. Um, and where can folks find you, Joel, if they'd like to find you? You can find me at my Grand Falloon. And how about you, Jenny? Folks can find me at Kim Chica on Twitch, YouTube, and TikTok, and then at Kim Chica 25 on Twitter. Thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, as we part, I'd like for you to look into your mugs. I'm rocking a foxy one today. Are there any chunkies? When you look, when you peer <laughs> into your mug, may you find chunkies and may they be pixelated with exactly what you need. Mm -hmm. See you all later. <laughs>